Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne, and I like wine that reminds me of the Kia bird, curious, playful, and ready to destroy the shit out of things. And I'm Drea, and I never learn my lesson. Tell me more about what you mean by that in this specific moment. Oh, geez. I mean, isn't it the same in all the moments? So, okay. Shocking. Shocking. I know. I went out this week to have wine with some friends who are moving to Southern Washington. And, they live- and this is what you get to do when you're vaccinated. Yep. Yeah, for vaccines. Although we were outside. It was super chill. A beautiful night. So I was actually, we, you and I were talking when I was trying to get ready. That was fun. Yeah, it was a disaster. So Anne is watching me like get mini snatched in about 10 minutes because I can't keep my mouth shut. So we're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, shit, I gotta go. So I'm getting dressed, fully putting on pants, fully putting on my favorite old pair of jeans. And literally the button for the fly just like, bing, and goes flying across the room. So I'm like, fuck, okay, well, I can't wear those pants. So I have to change. Anyway, go to my friend's house, get there at five, come home at 11. After a smorgasbord of natural orange wines that were truly delightful. Oh, delicious. When is our orange wine episode again? Uh, I don't think we have it scheduled yet, but we We gotta work on that. Yeah, we gotta figure that out. I feel like that's my problem, so got it. So, get home, feeling real good. You know what I mean? Just sat in the backyard, ate some cheese, drank a shit ton of orange fabulous wine. Also, I fully have to get up super early the next morning to go to Los Angeles for some business. So, in my orange wine-induced haze... I'm like, shit, I gotta go to LA tomorrow. I gotta pack a bag of stuff. I want to take these jeans. I know. I'll fix them. These broken jeans with the button popped off and lost? Yep. So I have fixed these jeans before. This is not our first go-round together. We are old friends. So I decide I am too drunk to, like, trust myself to remember to pack this shit up in the morning. But I am not so drunk that I can't use a hammer to hammer a new button into these goddamn jeans. This is what I don't understand about this story, is where the hammer comes into it as a solution to what is clearly a sewing problem. No, it's not sewing, because so jeans, like, there's, like, that rivet thing, you know, with the the tab button that you, you know, button above the fly, Uh and you, like, the only way to do it is you hammer it into the actual fabric. So there's, like, a front button part, there's a little back. I feel like we're getting real technical, like, this is some Project Runway level bullshit now. Trust me, you need a hammer. I'm sure there's, like, some, like, magical sewing tool that maybe the one fan that we have is, like, this dumb hoe. But... I will say in the background, I am like this dumb hoe. I don't know what that tool is, but I'm just going to make the assumption that you're a dumb hoe. That's fair. It's it's an assumption that a lot of people make. It's fine. I'm used to it. Did I tell you all I have a PhD? So I'm like, great. I'm going to get this hammer. I'm going to fix these pants. Problem solved. So I was very proud because I was like, great. I fixed the pants. So now fast forward to next evening i.e last night because the moral of the story is drea doesn't learn her goddamn lesson gets back from la decides to go out with some girlfriends in the jeans in the jeans and so i go to put the jeans on and i'm 
looking at the jeans and I'm like, huh, I didn't do a very good job with this. <laughs> like the button is crooked. It's wonky. It's not fully closed. But my option is that the like totally wrinkled skirt that I've been in that I'm not going to wear or a pair of velvet pants, but it's hot. I am hot. It is sticky. I am hot. I've been in the garment district in LA all day. Like, forget it. So I'm like, well, we're just going to say a really quick prayer and hope for the best. I also feel the need to warn my girlfriends that there is a 70% chance that at some point this evening, this button is popping off and now I'm going to be pantsless at our local bodega. <laughs> hey, that just sounds like the new hotness to me. Yeah, new I mean. <laughs> trend, the new hotness, uh, popping off, buttons flying. Popping off and popping bottles. Oh, that needs to be the title of an episode this summer. I actually feel like maybe we should make that our first t-shirt. Popping off and popping buttons. Poppin'. Bottles. <laughs> popping bottles and popping buttons. Whatever you said. I'll you know, play it back. It's fine. <laughs> That's why we record this. So yeah, moral of the story. Dre doesn't learn her lesson. She's a dumbass. Don't let her have a hammer. All right. Words we can words we can live by. Words uh, I take it though that your pants made it through. I mean, so here's, because again, doesn't learn her lesson. I don't know. Got home last night at like 1130. I haven't looked at them. I guess they're fine. I mean, I was still wearing them when I got home. So I guess that's a plus. Who knows? It's fine. I'm fine. We will be following this story for updates. Stay with us for (laughs) Pants Watch 2021. Anyway, if you like this kind of shenanigans, be sure to leave us a review. Tell us what other crazy stuff we should be getting up to. And maybe tell us what kind of wine you think might go with a pantsless evening when your your pants just sort of failed you. You can tell us and we'll put it on the wine wheel for a future episode. Reach out to us on Instagram at two girls and a grape pod. To be really clear, you'll only reach Drea. I do not check Instagram. Uh, or you can email us Who's at grapepod at gmail.com. Slide into my DMs. Okay, so now that I have thoroughly embarrassed myself with my pants story, it's time for our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. And what are you cheersing this week? This week, I am cheersing the incomparable Brene Brown and her two podcasts, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. This week, I listened to an episode with Emily and Amelia Nagoski about their new book, Burnout, and Emily and Amelia, if you ever hear that. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. It's a really good book. It was a great episode, just sort of, I think, really relevant to where a lot of us are right now, a year and a month or so into this pandemic. I know that I'm still struggling with sort of like, how do we keep going? How do like, we keep sort of getting up and being productive and doing things in the face of everything else that's going on. And it was just really nice to hear an episode that kind of talked about the factors of burnout and what we can do about it. So it was really helpful for me. I thought it was a really good episode, would highly recommend to anyone. And I would also recommend their book, Burnout. And my jeers this week, kind of along the same theme, is just how hard it feels like it is to do anything these days. I've definitely been feeling a little exhausted about just continuing in the face of constant, you know, pandemic struggles, racial violence in the country, shootings are up again. Uh, It's just really hard. And I find it hard to just do 
regular life things like it's hard to you know go to the post office and get things mailed i've had to like call my insurance and find a new doctor and i just don't understand why it has to be so hard it leads me to drink this wine so i know these are first world problems but uh it felt like it was worth a jeers uh especially since Brene and um, emily and amelia are here to make it a little bit better for us i fully agree with you i mean it just seems like these days, everything takes a little bit longer. Everything takes more effort. I feel like we've all had to retrain our brains in terms of how to how to deal with that. So I hear you. I hear you. With that in mind, Drea, cheer me up. My cheers also revolves around a book. I am currently reading The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together by Heather McGee. It is super rad. I saw her. She did an interview on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. I was instantly intrigued by this book. And it's it's a fascinating read about how we think about equality and equity in America. And instead of prioritizing those things, we'd rather we just didn't have nice things, period, apparently. (laughs) So um, it's a super smart book. It's a very easy, informative read. And if you're into history, you're into social justice, this is definitely something you want to pick up. So cheers to that. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. What's your jeers this week? Oh, I mean, besides me being a jackass, kind of related to, again, sort of that um, swing back from the pre-pandemic times. Pre-pandemic traffic is back in full force with a vengeance. And I hate it. I grew up in Los Angeles. Driving traffic is just so much part of the culture there. I get it. But yeah. It was real bad yesterday. And it's it's also unsettling, right? Because we, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And I mean, granted, I think we are all, well, I'll speak for myself, dealing with like a high level of collective PTSD here uh, that people aren't necessarily being great at navigating. But it's it was a little startling to see that many cars on the road yesterday. Yeah. So I guess in summary, cheers to the women and people who are doing really great authentic work and cheers to the imperfect world we still live in where that work is beyond necessary. Yeah. Now, me playing with a hammer doesn't sound that bad. Just saying. You're right. In context. (laughs) (laughs) So for our shenanigans segment this episode... I have a adult Mad Libs called Eat, Drink, and Be Mad Libs. And I will definitely post a photo of this on our Instagram page so you can have your own fun and play along. And Anne, I thought that since we both like words and we both like wine, this would be fun for us. I love it. Let's do it. So I'm assuming you're going to tell me... Pick a noun, pick an adverb, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll fill in whatever the story is. Yep. And then I'm going to read it out loud and it's going to be ridiculous. The title of this Mad Libs story is Wine Tasting 101. Because remember, folks, this is nothing if not educational. So let's get started. Give me a noun. Earth. If you make this about aliens, I will murder you. Uh, Give me a verb ending in I-N-G. Singing. Oh, God. 
Also, can we pause for a second? Just a quick sidebar. I overpronounce my G's in any kind of ing word, like singing or ringing, but like signing. I, I'm a big believer in the hard G at the end. Gah. It's there for a reason, people. Pass it on. I I think you should leave that in as our public service announcement for this episode. Okay, so we got singing. Noun. Daffodil. See, we've, we've got a whole Earth Day theme going here. Cool, cool. Adjective. what I'm thinking about this spring. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. Adjective. Moist? Is moist an adjective? That is the worst fucking adjective on the planet. I hate that word. I don't know why people use it. Put but, it in. Oh, the worst. Oh, God. The next, <laughs> the next category is part of the body, which if it ends up being moist. Armpit. Oh, God. Armpit. <sighs> Armpit. I need two adjectives. Flossy. Flossy? Yeah, I said it. And? Green. Flossy and green. A noun. Kitten. <laughs> A plural noun. Skyscrapers. I may just be naming things I can see. Yeah, I, I get how free association works. Thanks. <laughs> An adverb. Quickly. Damn it, another part of the body? Fine. Foot. Something wrong with you. A noun. Candle. <laughs> An adjective. Brightly. <laughs> oh, bright. 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 I, I don't think like, brightly is a bright. noun, is an adjective. A plural noun. God damn, this is a long Mad Lib. Uh, headstones. You can see that from your window. I can. Headstones. A type of event. Birthday party. God, this is gonna be so fucking weird. This is what I want. I want a birthday party. <laughs> and finally, last but not least, another noun. Mailman. God. Sorry, mail person. Mail carrier. <laughs> Fine. Yes, because we're also nothing if not PC, even when we're lit as shit. Great. That is correct. <laughs> All right. So let me just... Oh, this is going to be so bad. Okay. Look, don't hate the player. Hate the game. Read the Mad Lib. I'm gonna. I'm like writing things in. Okay. One more. All right. We ready for this? Yeah. Remind me of the title. Wine Tasting 101, an adult Mad Lib, for your pleasure, presented to you by Anne. <laughs> As any connoisseur will tell you, appreciating an earth of wine is like singing a fine work of art. <laughs> Clearly, we don't know how words work. This is great. First, Or how singing works. Yeah. <laughs> First, you must hold up your glass to examine the color. Does the shade remind you of a daffodil? <laughs> Is the wine light or moist bodied? Ugh. Ugh. I mean, if it was the wine we drank last week, it does remind me of a daffodil. Okay, fair, but yeah, it wasn't moist-bodied. If someone was like... Technically, this... all wine is moist. Yeah, but if it's someone... very wet. If someone was a like, drink. this wine is moist, like, that just, like, ugh, ugh. Next, put your armpit into the glass <laughs> and sniff, because that's obviously <laughs> how aroma works. 
<laughs> also, like an armpit is sort of a like a concave part of the body. <laughs> well, we're gonna make it happen. So get the cord contortionist over here. It's all going down. Is the aroma flossy or is it more green? I actually don't mind the green aroma situation, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> That's a future episode. You might detect a hint of kitten. <laughs> if you are drinking at Anne's house, you certainly will. <laughs> you might even smell skyscrapers. <laughs> Again, if you are drinking at my house, looking out the window. You know, I'm going to say skyscrapers may equate to like a sense of minerality. So I'm going to give us that one. Once you have done this, you should quickly take a sip. Okay, that's actually like everything we've told you not to do, but sure, sure, sure. Make sure you swish it around your foot before swallowing it. <laughs> this is some turning into some kinky shit now. <laughs> is that candle you taste? <laughs> Who doesn't what love kind of waxy, waxy wine? Do you have? <laughs> is the wine bright or dry? Congratulations! Now you can impress your headstones the next time you attend a birthday party. And don't forget to raise your glass and give a classic toast to your mail carrier. <laughs> hey, mail carriers made the world go round this pandemic. You should Heck be yeah, toasting yeah. them. Everybody should be toasting them. That's right. So, Drea, what are we drinking this week? We are drinking a fun find that came highly recommended from some folks who own a local wine shop here in San Diego. And one of the owners is actually from New Zealand. So this is a New Zealand Pinot Noir. It is from Hunter's Wines uh, and it's called Otto's Constant Dream. And the reason I picked this one is we did a Spanish wine last time. Um, and going to Spain was the trip that really kind of changed my life and influenced how I travel and how I eat, how I drink, and, and really now how I live my life. And I know Anne's trip to New Zealand had a huge impact on hers. So we picked this one to complement that story. And neither one of us have had this wine before today. So that's another exciting piece about it. Yeah, I had a wonderful time in New Zealand. I was going back and looking at old pictures and old itineraries and just trying to remember sort of what we did and all of the great parts about it. And it was relatively early in my relationship with my partner and now my husband. And he had gone to New Zealand for a summer for a postgraduate work. I had been working in a law office and they weren't going to give me time off to go for a visit. So I ended up quitting that job and yeah. getting a job at a local Girl Scout camp. And honestly, just the fact that they wouldn't let me go to New Zealand kind of changed the course of the rest of my career and working life. So it was a huge kind of turning point for me career-wise, even though it had actually nothing to do with my career. But we visited both the North Island and the South Island and had a really wonderful time. And one of the things that I go back to in terms of memories a lot is we spent some time on, it was kind of like a farm um, sort of by Franz Joseph Glacier. And 
we rented like a, a little chateau there and there were these big, huge picturesque windows that covered the whole side of, of the building. And I remember that it was raining incredibly hard, like a huge thunderstorm. So we couldn't go out and do anything. And my husband went to take a nap and I just sat on the couch in front of these enormous windows that were being pounded with rain. And I had a pot of tea and a thick book to read. And it was just one of the most relaxing and peaceful times of the trip and sort of gave me a new way to think about vacations where instead of trying to do everything and see everything and go to this museum and then see this town and then see this, it really let me kind of slow down and think about the space as as being an opportunity for retreat and relaxation. And then afterwards, when the rain stopped, I got to go for a little walk around the farm and see the llamas and the cows and the horses. And it was just really beautiful. And we'll talk a little bit more about things that you can do if you have the chance to go and try this wine in its natural habitat. But I also wanted to just acknowledge the traditional keepers of the land and their traditional name for it, Aotearoa. The original Maori name means long white cloud. And one of the things that was so beautiful about New Zealand was just the landscape. It was almost like there wasn't a divide between land and sky and water. They all sort of mixed together. So these long clouds would just cover the landscapes that we were moving through. You were so close to the ocean and the water the whole time. And the the land itself, the earth was so incredibly beautiful, as you can see in Peter Jackson's uh, Lord of the Rings. And I'm really excited to be trying this Pinot Noir from there and sort of reliving some of these memories. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's so important, like you said, to go on vacation to actually shift perspective a little bit. So when you were in New Zealand, did you do any tasting while you were there? I know this is before we were full-fledged winos, but you know, thought I asked. We did. We did a wine tasting on the North Island outside of Rotoroa. I looked up the name. I don't remember it now, but basically you had to take like a gondola up a ski slope to the top of the oh my god to to where the winery was so beautiful so fun really again great views it kind of like the windows of the winery tasting room looked out over this entire valley it was really gorgeous and of course scott and i had no idea what we were tasting or drinking but we had a great time (laughs) that's what matters the guy who was pouring for us was like these two do not know anything nor are they here to learn. He's like, yeah, it's wine and it's good. And I like it. Also, that's, that's, that's okay. basically all we had to say yeah. about it was, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good. So, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this wine. Cause I think the things that, you know, New Zealand, both islands uh, tend to have wines that have more mineral driven characteristics. Um, and you get a lot of the flavors that are typically associated with cooler climate growing regions. You're going to get a different level of acidity. You're going to get a different kind of bouquet and different fruit in a cooler climate wine than you would one that's grown, like say in Napa Valley, right? Where the temperatures can get very, very warm. Pinot is a delicate grape. It typically doesn't thrive in those sorts of conditions. I mean, it doesn't stop growers from doing it. But so this particular wine is a great bargain. You can find it for around $20, which for a Pinot, if you drink a lot of Pinots, you know, that they can be very pricey, especially U.S. domestic ones and those from California. But this is a nice glass. It's got a ABV of about 13 and a half percent. 
So, you know, it's it's a little bit higher in one from what we've drunk on the show before, but it's still very approachable, very light, very food friendly, I think. So let's talk a little bit about the winemaker. This is kind of a collaborative piece. So the wine is called Otto's Constant Dream, OCD for short, which I love. And it's produced and bottled at Hunter's Winery in Marble. And Hunter's is interesting because it's one of that region's, that Appalachian's original wine estates. And it was established in 1979. So the guy who started the Otto's Constant Dream, it's Chris Antista. And this wine was inspired by his friend and business partner, a woman named Melissa Saunders, and her obsessive nature about wine. Hence the name Otto's Constant Dream or OCD for short. I think we should start a segment that is like Anne judges the label since we all know that I only buy wines based on the label. And this is absolutely a wine label that would intrigue me if I saw it in a shop because it is kind of like one of those half figures of a man, Otto, I am assuming, uh, and kind of has split up the different segments of his brain to sort of show what he's thinking about. And it's all things related to wine. So it's like wine, tannins, there's a bottle on there, aromatic, vintage. And I feel like it is a peek into your brain, Drea, and maybe also Melissa's brain. Yeah, it's a super rad label. It's a cool looking bottle for sure. It's definitely a fun one. So they do uh, they do this Pinot and they also make a Sauvignon Blanc, which is another very common varietal you see uh, throughout New Zealand and Australia as well. So Hunters, though, continues to be one of the largest and best producers in this particular region in New Zealand. And the owner, Jane Hunter, is kind of like a local legend there. And within the winemaking scene, she really helped put marble on the map. A couple things about, you know, the estate. Everything's estate-grown and sustainably farmed. And the process is pretty interesting. So this is going to be a little like Bill Nye the Science Guy, forgive me. But what they do is they take a portion of the fruit. So their fruit's hand-picked, which is important. It's not processed by big heavy machinery, but a portion of it, they take and they plunge it into these small open vats until the fermentation process is complete. When you say plunged, (laughs) you mean like the whole grape skin and everything is plunged into this vat? Yeah, I mean, that's how the grape, like that's how the wine gets its color, right? From the skin contact. Um, I think we talked about that in our our Kelby James, our first episode about the rosé. So they ferment it in these open tanks and then they ferment another part of the wine in stainless steel tanks, which is, you know, pretty popular. And they pump through it. It reaches about 32 degrees Celsius. And the reason that they kind of do this separately is so that they can really get a very precise extraction of color and tannin to enhance the structure in the body of the wine. So they take the per- a percentage of the ferment, you know, from each, put it in barrels, the fermentation process completes in new oak, which is really interesting to me because this wine does not read as an over-oaked wine, which typically, you know, you get with some of some varietals like this, like Pinot, we've talked about Chardonnay a little bit. So when you have new oak, it tends to be very, uh, powerful, almost overpowering, I think, for my palate anyways. So they mix these two from different fermentation processes. They put them in new 
oak and they age for about 10 months or so. So it's a really interesting process that they have going to make this particular Pinot and it's they did a nice job. It's a really beautiful wine. I took my first sip. I know you said it was new oak. Is the fact that it's only aged for 10 months maybe impacting sort of how how much oakiness there is in the wine? Certainly. I mean, the longer you leave it in the barrel, like the more it's going to take on that flavor. Um, and some wines do need longer to mature. So like a Cabernet or Merlot typically take a little bit longer. For example, a Pinot, because it's a lighter bodied red, doesn't need, need it that much. But a lot of, especially natural winemakers, are doing different things. So you see a lot of stainless steel tanks. You see these clay or concrete like they look like an egg almost. And those are kind of a new take on very ancestral winemaking practices that the Greeks and the Romans did with like the clay jars. I've seen glass. The weirdest one I've probably experienced was when I was in Morocco, I had wine that was aged in cedar wood barrels. So, you know, you can really use anything to age wine in some ways. And throughout history, people probably have. You know, desperate times, desperate measures. Sorry, I nerded out a little bit there, but that's what you're No, I love when you get nerdy with me. (laughs) Yeah. So again, like, let's talk about the the region a little bit more. So Marble is New Zealand's most important wine region by far. So this it's good that we picked this wine and that we're kind of looking at it. It's one of their largest producers and it's situated in the northeastern tip of the South Island. So it tends to be a little bit drier, fairly sunny, and in this region alone there are about 500 growers and producers. And between them, they produce more than three quarters of all of New Zealand's wine. So it's a it's a pretty robust area for winemaking. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't. So the the wine tour that that we took on our trip in New Zealand was not in Marlborough. It was in the north. It was on the North Island. But if you happen to make it down to New Zealand and coming from the U.S., it's a pretty long trip. So I imagine you'll want to see a few other things in the area on the South Island. A couple of things that are definitely worth checking out are the glowworm caves. And there are a few places in New Zealand where you can see these caves. They're they're literally so weird and so amazing. And as long as you're not too freaked out by the concept of bugs, totally worth it. I fucking uh, love We went glowworms. to glowworm caves down by Teanu and it was absolutely the most incredible part of our trip. We even got sucked into buying like the photos afterwards and we still have it up on our fridge because it was such a fun time and so beautiful to see. They basically take you in these little canoes into these caves and you look up and it's like being under a thousand sparkling diamonds, but they're really worms. Some of the other fun things that we did while we were in New Zealand uh, on the South Island was visit Franz Josef Glacier, which is one of the largest and most easily accessible glaciers in the world for people to visit. So we actually took a helicopter ride up to the top of the glacier and then walked around for a while. 
again, just a really incredible experience. And one of the things that really struck me about New Zealand was how extreme the different climates and environments can be. We did a hike earlier in the day on the same day that we did the, the helicopter ride to the glacier. And it was like we were walking in a tropical forest. Like it was colder than a tropical floor forest would be, but the environment was very much the same of this very wet, very moist forest damn word. all kinds of birds and trees and the kia bird ate part of our car off uh, and then <laughs> you know we got on this helicopter and we're you know maybe in the air 10 minutes and all of a sudden we were in this incredibly cold beautiful landscape covered in ice extremely different so it was really incredible incredible to see and if you are nerds like us and you want to take a Hobbit tour, which yes. I actually didn't when I was in New Zealand because we went to a winery instead, you can take a Hobbit tour on the North Island and then uh, check out the winery in Rotorua with the gondola ride and have a fun, fun afternoon activity on your way between Hobbiton and Mount Doom. That is literally my ideal situation. Like, I want to nerd the fuck out. I want to drink good wines. I want to nerd the fuck out some more. That's a solid day. It is a solid day. And it will definitely take you some time. But, you know, we did a lot of driving when we were in New Zealand. And I can absolutely see why they chose it as the landscape of the films. Ugh, I need to get my butt there. I need to just like I need to get anywhere right now. But you know, I need to get there. <laughs> hey, time will come. Time will come. Ugh, let's hope so. All right. So but one of the things we, we didn't make it, I, I don't think we made it anywhere in Marlborough. So tell me more about this area and why if we go back, we should make it a priority for our wine, our wine adventures. Yeah, so one, it's a big area of growers. And just like we've talked about in some other places with like the domain of origin or Appalachian here, um, New Zealand does have a similar system. They call it the GI, so it's a geographical indication. And the one in Marble was, even though they've been making wine in this area for decades, was really established in 2018 as like a formal regulatory body. So that's the Appalachian Marble Wine. And, you know, what these re these regulation bodies do is they really protect the integrity and the quality standards of wine that is coming from this region. And this is particularly important for sustainably grown grapes to make sure that they comply with all of the crop rates that are set annually with the practices, with irrigation, with um, pesticide control, and still then be bottled in New Zealand with that labeling. So Hunters and then Otto's Constant Dream, obviously, because it's coming from them, does all of those things. Uh, the other thing to note about this region is the varietals that they are most known for. And they are the two that, no surprise, New Zealand is most known known for. So a Sauvignon Blanc and a Pinot Noir. OCD makes both of them. So it makes this a really good example of, you know, a producer from this area. And let's talk a little bit about climate because, you know, I'm into it. What's great about this region is the climate's usually, you know, fairly sunny and warm in the summer and autumn. So right as those grapes are really developing their sugar content, and right around harvest time is when you want that little extra heat. And so what's also nice, though, is it results in a long growing season. There's 
also tends to be cooler evenings, like even during those times. So the temperature variation really helps develop the character of the grapes and then hence the wines. The only thing about this is, I think, Anne, you noted, it can also be very dry in this part of New Zealand. So oftentimes, especially younger vines there do require some degree of irrigation. So you're not going to see the same amount of dry farming, you know, that we've talked about in other contexts, like our Bosque wine that we had last episode. So there's kind of the exact opposite problem here, whereas there, it's so wet, or to use Anne's new favorite word, moist, that they have to trellis the vines to form canopies so that you avoid things like noble rot. Here, watching those water levels and that irrigation is really important to make sure that you're getting a good quality grape and it doesn't dry out or that the sugars don't develop too soon and then, you know, make the grape all shrivelly and sad. So what can you tell me more about Pinot Noir. If I was asked to like pick a favorite wine, uh, this would have been my favorite wine even before it's also this- BuzzFeed told me it was the wine that I was most like. Uh, but I don't BuzzFeed. know a ton about what it, what sort of features it represents or like what we should know about it. So the first thing you should know about Pinot is it's really fucking popular. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really popular. Pinot's really popular. It's easy to find. It's very easy. One of my requirements for a wine. Everyone makes it. You know, if you saw the movie Sideways with Paul Giamatti and forgot and Christina O's in it, um, forgot the other fool that's in it who's like cheating on his wife, but Sideways really puts Pinot Noir on a cultural map in the United States. What I hear you saying is that I should watch Sideways. I'm sorry, you've never seen Sideways? I've never seen Sideways. Wow, okay. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is now over. <laughs> uh watch sideways it's iconic since sideways came out i think there's just been an explosion of interest in pinot noir and look there's a lot of good wine producers making great pinots and even if you get into napa and sonoma a lot of them have picked up that like oh this is what people want to drink you know because let's not forget wine is still a business and you need to sell cases and sell bottles to continue to run and operate your vineyard and your wineries. So give the people what they want. Almost everywhere you go, you can find a Pinot. I personally prefer something like this that has a little bit more character and a little bit more funk and a little bit more interest to it. But a Pinot is a very old, very finessed grape. The original home of a Pinot grape is in Burgundy, the Burgundy region of France. You see a lot of French Pinots that again have, you know, a very distinct style. But yeah, there it's a cooler climate wine. It's now grown pretty extensively in the US, all across Europe. I mean, I can even tell you of a of a producer in Benedes Valley in Spain that makes a Pinot. New Zealand, Australia. So it's it's pretty common in the cooler climate areas. And what are we looking at in our glass this evening? Oh, it's so pretty. So this wine just has that classic Pinot Noir color, which is almost like a light garnet. This particular wine is very clear in terms of like it's got an excellent 
clarity. It almost shines in your glass. I'm also using yeah. my favorite nicest glass. It's got a really beautiful, like bright red background to it. And for something like this, want you know, and for Pinots in general, you want to drop that temperature down a little bit before you drink them. And so, you know, typically somewhere between 56 and 58 degrees Fahrenheit is where you want them to be. Ideally, if you have a wine fridge, that's where you want to, you know, pop it in and let it kind of do its thing. And if you're Anne and keep your wine in a box under your bed, or if you're Andrea and are just a dumb hoe who forgets to do things, you can pop this in the fridge for like 90 minutes. It's going to be fine. It's going to drop it down just where it needs to be. Now, I didn't know this when you texted me earlier today and said, hey, make sure to put your wine in the fridge. I'd always heard that sort of like red wines, you drink at room temperature and white white wines, you drink cold. And I was surprised to hear that today's would be, should be refrigerated as well. So like, is that just a complete myth or what's the deal? So, okay, here's Andrea's like one blanket rule. And I think you'll appreciate this. I think you should drink wine the like however you fucking want to. I really believe in like no rules when it comes to drinking. Like you like your reds chilled? Drink them chilled if that's how you want to get after that. What? You want to have a white with a steak? Have at it, girl. Live your dream. It's one of the things about the industry that that bugs me a little bit is it just takes itself too seriously, where wine should really be fun. It should be about exploration. It should be about a sensory experience. So have your experience. Build your narrative. Uh, but since we are also trying to be educational, a little bit fancy here. Yeah, so certain... Um, you know, I think there is a myth that like, oh, you want to drink whites ice cold and you want to drink reds like fully at room temperature. Well, I mean, room temperature means a lot of things, right? My room temperature and Anne's room temperature are going to be really different. So one is like stability, right? Like having that consistent tasting experience. The other thing, though, is, you know, once you crack that bottle, oxidation starts. The moment oxygen hits your wine, that oxidation process starts. And so you want your wine to be in, like, optimal shape to take all that on. And temperature is part of that, certainly. And so, you know, Pinot, because it's a cooler climate grape, typically you want it to, to come down a little bit. And then you're going to be able to notice those flavor notes just a little bit sharper. So almost the res re reverse of, you know, when you go out to a restaurant and you get a glass of like $6 Chardonnay and it's ice cold and it's garbage. The reason it's ice cold is so that you notice, you don't notice how garbage it is. Because if it's cold, it just tastes good and it's cold. But if you let that sucker warm up a little bit, you're like, ooh. So you really want to give the fruit what it wants. In other words, is I, I guess what I'm saying. Like if you want to taste that fruit, you want it at a pretty optimal temperature to be able to do that. But, you know, I mean, on the other hand, like, I'll crack up in a really nice Cabernet and my mom will toss ice cubes in it. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you do. Live your dream. Live your wine dream. <laughs> 
<laughs> Rose, you have everyone's permission to do what you want Don't now. Don't encourage her. All right, we've got this light garnet wine, a classic Pinot color. Tell me a little bit about the body. Tell me about the acid. What's going on here? So Pinots are great because they're light-bodied red. And so this is a great gateway red for someone who may not always drink red or maybe standoffish about red. You know, I think that red wines get a bad rap because most of us, our early experiences with red wines aren't great. Like when you're at a grocery store and you're like, oh, well, the $6 Cabernet sounds great. It's not, I promise you. And it has nothing to do with the price point, but more to do with like the production of that bottle, right? It's coming from huge estate. It is, you know, not sustainably farmed. It is commercially produced. And a lot of those wines that fit that line. I mean, think about like the industrialized food system, right? Same idea here. You are going to have so many additives in that wine to get it to have the quality that it does for the price that it's at. And you know what? Look, everyone needs like their favorite go-to cheap bottle where we all know what it is. We're going to open one glass. We're going to sit down on the sofa with every intention of making it through some binge watching. And then we're going to fall asleep in 15 minutes with that half drunk glass and that bottle's going to be open on the counter. And you know what? You're not going to feel bad about it, nor should you. But when you get into these, you know, the more artisanal wines, you really want to think about production. Or when you're paying 20 bucks for a bottle of wine, it should be a good bottle of wine that maybe you want to make a podcast about like we do. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is for your Pinots, be a little choosy. You know, everyone makes one these days again because they're wildly popular. If you want a good bang for your buck, I highly recommend like looking for a New Zealand Pinot. Willamette up in Oregon is making some great ones, although I have noticed their prices are steadily on the rise as they've become more and more popular. Washington State has some good ones. We talked about some coming out of the Finger Lakes in New York. So kind of play with regions, you know, don't say, well, I must have a French Pinot or I must have a Napa Valley Pinot because one of two things is going to happen. You're going to get one at a price point that you think is good and the wine is going to be trash or you're going to pay way more than you want to for a bottle. I mean, one of my favorite Pinot producers here in California, a bottle, like, like not even a library bottle, just kind of like, you know, your, your latest release vintage is going to cost you between 60 and $80. Wow. You know, they, they do get up there. So, you know, start with, tr try out a different region, play with it a little bit, I think. I just really related to what you said about people's experience with red not being the best as they're starting out. And I think that's, honestly, I think part of what kind of before we became friends pushed me away from wine so much is that like my early experiences with both ends of the red and white spectrum were not great. So when I had a wine, I really gravitate towards those wines kind of in the middle, the rosé, the pinot, things that didn't feel as, you know, I think I think the term you used in the last episode was like the buttery experience or the like bang in your face red experience. Both of those felt like, ooh, this is not what I'm looking for. So maybe I'll just have a beer instead or a cocktail. And I feel like there's so much 
I'm, I'm looking forward in this podcast, I guess is what I'm saying, to trying wines at both the middle of the spectrum and the ends of the spectrum that are actually good as opposed to just like, what did I pick off of a shelf? You know, I do think that you and I have fairly different preferences when it comes to not just wine, but spirits too. Like there's definitely, we've got a Venn di- oh, yeah. diagram going, but I do really like bold, weird tongue slapping your brain flavors like I'm into that it it keeps things really exciting for me uh but I also like really respect a steady you know what you're getting it's well crafted it's got a peak of interest like and those are the wines that most people want to drink to be honest with you and so um how can we do that in like an affordable way a sustainable way all of that But this guy, you know, it's a nice gateway red. It has a really light, lush body to it, but it's still interesting. And some of that comes from the acid content. So this particular wine is going to have like medium to medium high acid. But what's great about that is it gets balanced out really nicely with the bright fruit that you get in it. Um, So let's let maybe let's shift to talking about some tasting notes here so and now that so when you're oh. when you're putting your armpit into this wine what are you experiencing <sighs> i smell dove cucumber deodorant no just kidding um <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of aromas Oh, it's so good. I really like it. I get a lot of early summer red fruit. So like plum and cherry, like Rainier cherry, though, not being cherry. She fancy. Raspberry, blueberry. It's very, I think, berry forward. Personally, that's what, what I get on the nose. How about you? What you sniffing over there? I think all of that sounds right. I think... As you were saying plum, I was thinking peach, but not like a light early peach, like a really full drips down your hand, succulent peach. And even like, I don't know, I'm almost getting more savory as well as the fruit Mm -hmm. that, that there's sort of this like rich vegetalness. Yeah. So once you taste it, I think it reads very different on the on the palate than it does on the nose. And so I still get a little bit of that cherry. Like when I first take a sip, I get like that initial like fruit shock, but it's like a more mature cherry. But certainly drinking it, I get a little bit more of that body. So there's some earth in there, some like baking spices, a little bit of like nutmeg and cinnamon in the background. And then the finish for me is is very smooth, but has just a little bit of a bite. So it reminds me almost of like raspberries with vanilla in that finish because it, it's a soft landing, but after a little like, ooh, what's that? I know that's not a technical term, but I think you all get my drift. Yeah, I think when I drink this, like some of the other wines we've had on this podcast have really blown me away, like sort of what you've described as like your tongue slapping your brain. Mm -hmm. This to me is not that, but I taste it and it's like, oh yes, this is exactly what a Pinot Noir should be. It's like the platonic ideal of Pinot Noirs. Honestly, what I picture is, I don't know if anyone saw last, was it called Last Holiday or Last Christmas? The movie with Aubrey Plaza and Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy this Christmas. 
I see Aubrey Plaza holding this glass of wine. I know we're getting ahead to celebrities, but like that's what I picture is like the sexiness of this Pinot Noir really stands out to me. It's it's sexy, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. If you know what I mean, like yes. it's it's you know it's clean, it's easy, it's like a good, positive, healthy relationship that you've been in for a while. <laughs> In a bottle. In a bottle. As all good relationships should be. <laughs> you know, this is a good crowd pleaser, too. If you get invited to a post-pandemic dinner party, let's say, and maybe you really like the host, but you're not sure about some of these other bitches who are going to show up, it's a great bottle. Because guess what? The host is going to be happy. You're going to be happy. And if the rest of them aren't happy, like, who gives a shit? So it's 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 definitely a crowd pleaser, though, I think. It's an easy yeah, drinker. Yeah, th- that is exactly what I was thinking. Like, this is a wine that I feel like I could bring to a dinner party and seem like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to wine. And it's just really good. It's really nice to drink. Yeah, it's definitely... Okay, so in terms of pairings, definitely dinner party with mixed company is the ultimate here. We're giving you a crowd pleaser. You're all welcome. What would you pair this with to eat? What's going to be served at the dinner party? Hmm. I feel like every time I answer, I'm just copying your answers from the last episode, but (laughs) grilled vegetables are what's coming to mind for me. And maybe what I actually mean is like, like I would like this with like a really rich eggplant dish. Mm. Like I could eat this with either like a grilled eggplant, but I could also eat it with like a veganized eggplant Parmesan. I would just, that's what I would enjoy this with is like a hearty vegetable. Yeah, I think it would go great with eggplant. This would be a nice accompaniment to like a ratatouille dish too. Yeah. Anything with goat cheese. Also on weekends, I really love to make a very leisurely brunch. And I've been on this like breakfast pizza kick lately. So I make a fancy ass pizza and then I do like a fried egg on top. And today's edition of brunch pizza was a kale pesto with Italian cheese blend and crispy prosciutto and shallots. And like, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, this would go amazing with that, too, I think. Also, you know, this is an easy enough drinking wine that like, if I'm going to chill after dinner and have some popcorn and some goobers in my popcorn, I'd, I'd take a glass of this down with it. I feel like the word goobers might be the word moist for me. So okay. I'm not with you there. First of but all, I am. I could curl up on the couch next to you all, with a glass of this wine goobers uh, watching a movie is like a, a Disney flick. Goobers is a candy. It's a real thing. And public service announcement number two of this episode. Popcorn topped with goobers. Trust me. You will all thank me. This is my gift to you, popcorn and goobers. So, Drea, when I swirl this around in my mouth, I almost get a little bit of a saltiness. Is that some of the minerality that you were talking about before, Mm -hmm. or am I just crazy? No, that's definitely coming from that cool climate grape. Yeah, that's picking up on that minerality in the soil. And it's also got a little bit of earthiness to it, right? So, like, that's where you're getting that mild, like, vegetable richness to it. I've heard a lot of people over the years be like, oh, it tastes like dirt. It's not dirt. You're tasting earth. Earth and dirt are, they're two different things. And they're both fine in wine. Get over yourselves. Yeah, get over yourselves. You're You're not too good to drink dirt. Wait till we get to my Wet Rocks episode. So... 
What kind of music would you drink this wine with? I kind of want to do like some classic like R&B, maybe some jazz to this. Like it's like, you know what? Just pull on like Rihanna's Pandora station. I'm fucking there for it. That's what I'm here for. You know, it's smooth. It's easy. You know what you're getting with Riri. It's always a good time. I'm here for it. How about you? Where are you listening to? So similar vibe, but a little more like... Welcome to my world. So I used to play full-size bass in like classical orchestras in high school and a little what? bit in college, but that is I dropped out pretty quickly when I realized I wasn't as good as everybody else. That is amazing um, and so sexy, and I did not know that about you, and I'm very excited. So there is this bassist, Edgar Meyer, who I really enjoy, and the the album that I like him most for is this like classical like Bach cellist thing but he has some other stuff that is more free flowing and just a little bit more more fun I guess and I would love to just put that with this like a really nice sort of jazzy bass is is where I'm at with this wine I like that I like that I don't disagree I need to check this dude out yeah I love him what about a book that you would read with this I want to read Let's see. I want to read a classic with this, but like a kind of a new American classic. Like I'd read the Maltese Falcon or the Thin Man stories to this. I would read like John Steinbeck to this. I would, you know, read something like revisiting an old friend. Yeah, I think for me, my old friends are all British literature. So what I I know is like sexy scenes in Pride and Prejudice. You want to read... Jane Austen. <laughs> I literally Rocket. never don't want yeah, to read Jane to Austen. all the wine. All the wine. Stop it. <laughs> I'm going to ban you from these. <laughs> take take the scene of them in the gazebo with the rain pouring down. This wine could work. But also, like, seriously, I think Charlotte Bronte and some of her, like, darker, like, a little bit gothic, but not too gothic stuff, that would be, that would be fun with this. You know, I could do some Dickens to this. I could get down with some tale of two A little bit of great expectations. Yeah, some great ex... ex, This is very... What's her name? Miss Havisham? Is that right? Yeah. 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 This is very her. I could see her jam into this. Okay, so what about... Like, well, I feel like you already had your celebrity, Miss Aubrey Plaza. Or do you have another one? Yeah, I would definitely invite Aubrey Plaza (laughs) to drink this with me or anything else she wants to drink. Um... (laughs) I would drink this with, this is going to be an unconventional, probably unpopular choice. I do not care. I want to drink this with Jon Stewart, who's to host The Daily Show. Now, let's just remind everyone that you said Jon Stewart as your answer for the last episode. Wait, so I feel did like I? you can't give me shit oh, about Pride shit. and Prejudice All right. right now. Did I really? I gotta stop drinking. Yes! I gotta stop drinking. Okay, I take it back. I take it back. All right, all right. Because I was going to say we're both intense people, but this wine is chill as fuck. Which is exactly what you said about it the last episode. God you just want to drink with John Stewart. I do. He's my boyfriend. Okay, okay. I changed my... No, I can't say that because he's a recovering alcoholic. That would be wrong. Um, <laughs> who do I want to drink this wine with? I would invite Michelle Obama to also drink this with me and Aubrey Plaza. Oh, fine. I feel like she I, would enjoy this. I don't get to come to that party you know what? Income. No, you, me, you know Aubrey Plaza, and Michelle. Fine. I would drink this wine with Alice Waters. Ooh, tell me more. So um, Alice Waters is a chef who started Chez Panisse in Berkeley. 
and also is a huge advocate of food equality, sustainability, really got California cuisine as we know it, farm to table moving um, in Northern California. And she is a huge inspiration to me. The thing I always say about Chez Panisse is like a tomato will never taste more like a tomato. They're all about the integrity of the ingredients, the, the quality of the ingredients, where they come from, what those farms and growers believe in, it's a really beautiful experience. They have a tremendous wine list there. Their psalm does an incredible job sourcing. But I feel like this wine is clean and clear and would pair so well with all the things that I would hope she would want to eat with me. I love the image of you fangirling out with Alice. Right. Like I just, I love picturing you at dinner with her. Also, we would be listening to Rihanna, just just to be clear. <laughs> Great. You can come too. Bring Michelle. Great. And Aubrey. <laughs> it's going to be a party. Great. <laughs> uh, and we've circled back to our situation of the dinner party and mixed company. <laughs> All right. So that was this episode's wine. We hope you enjoyed it. What are we drinking next time? I am so excited about our bottle for episode five. We are going to be drinking the Vici, that's B I C H I, Pet Mex out of Tecate, Mexico, which is in northern Baja, um, not too far from the California border. And this is a pet net. So if you've never had a pet net, now's your time. Um, Vichy does have a pretty good distribution in Estados Unidos. So check them out for sure. Get excited. I love a pet net. It is probably my favorite wine. Have you had this one? Have you had the pet net? Not the Vichy, but I just love yeah. a pet net. Who doesn't love a pet net? And if you don't love a pet nat already, tune in to the next episode and learn all about pet nats and why they're rad. And don't forget to tell us what you'd like us to drink or a situation you'd like us to choose a wine for. You can let us know on Instagram and we'll put it on our wine wheel. Where can people find us on the internet, Drea? So you can follow us on Instagram. That's two girls and a great pod. And it's T-W-O, girls and a great pod. You can tweet us at two girls and a grape. It's the, it's the number two. We had to get creative, folks. Or you can slide into our email, two girls and a great pod, just like our Instagram at gmail.com. But give us some love. Give us a rating. Tell us what you're drinking. Give us ideas for shenanigans. We are here to serve. And until next time, salute. Salute.